from New York to Washington, of course, the, the cityscape differs or the city, of course, it differs a little bit, but still it's the same culture. You have the same, the same shops, the same, uh, well, you feel it's the same country which is totally different. So the idea, the mere idea of visiting Europe in, f in a week, in my opinion, is a very culturally restrictive idea. You would prefer, I would recommend, you stay in a country and you visit the country instead, and you visit even a city because Paris deserves at least five days or four days. If you're in, interested in any cultural subject or whatever, and, and you don't hop from one country to the other because it's just like hopping from New York to uh, Hawaii or, or Los Angeles. So how long should one um, allot for if they want to see London and they want to see Paris and a wildcard city, whether it's something... Amsterdam is interesting. Yes. Amsterdam so is very say interesting. Something, London, Paris and Amsterdam. Oh, well, How long do you need to allow? This is a very northern trip. Maybe you could also be interested in going to Lisbon. Mm -hmm. Lisbon, which is my favorite, one of my favorite towns but in you, Europe. You'd, you'd really have to take it, another plane flight. Yes, but it's cheap. I mean, it's $50 to go from Paris to Lisbon. Really? Yeah, but you got to go through customs and all of that. Too. Yes, you're right. Well, we don't do that, so you're right. Oh yes, you're right. Basically, but well, so let's let's say you take your first quarters in Paris because you have the train going from Paris to London, mm -hmm. and from Paris to Amsterdam or Brussels or whatever. Um, so yes, it makes sense to to be centered around Paris. Uh, I would say fifteen days at at least. I mean, uh, so five, five, five. No, London doesn't deserve as much as Paris. No, no, it's not. About, I've lived in, I've, no, I've lived in London. I love the city, but it doesn't deserve as much as Paris. I mean, uh, first, it's very expensive. You'll have difficulties finding nice hotels uh, for a normal, a normal price, uh, except if you have friends. And London, it's not as interesting, architecturally speaking, as Paris is. No, but I, and as per Amsterdam, Amsterdam is a very tiny city, small city. Uh, of course, you have extraordinary museums. You have an extraordinary cityscape and tulips. Well, they're not. In, well, everything is very close in 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 Netherlands, so it's not a big deal. You can even do things by by train. So it's it's extremely nice to to travel. But I would say three days at most in Amsterdam. Okay, so you're saying three days in Amsterdam, seven days in Paris, five days in London? Well, the thing is that Paris is not only Paris. Paris is also Versailles, which you can't miss if you're interested in culture and arch architecture. And uh, I mean, when you are in Versailles, uh, it takes at least one day to visit Versailles because it's out in the outskirts of Paris. Not far, but in the outskirts anyway. So... Um, well, I would recommend going to see the Loire castles too, which are not so far from Paris and are splendid. I mean, uh, this is something you might want to do too. Can one take a train to get to these castles? Yes, of course. Yes, a very short, short ride, less than one hour. For those of us that are used to driving on the right side of the street, is 
France yes, to France. drive on the right side? Yeah. Okay. Only Brit England and Japan do that. So how difficult is it for one to rent a car well, to be able to do that? To, Paris is a metropolis just like New York. So you have all the same brands, Avis and, and so on. No, you, the only thing is that you won't be used to the way we, we, we pass... Uh, you know, the, the, the crank is different. The crank? The, we, oh, we, we are not uh, automatic in Europe. Uh, the, the clutch and everything. Yes, the clutch. This is the only thing. But you can, you can hire, you can rent a transmission, um, an automatic transmission in France too, of course. But I would say, uh, depending on when you're going, Loire Valley, visiting Chambord, for example, is a must, in my opinion. Okay. It's, a, it's a must, because it's culturally uh, as important as Versailles. I mean, what was that one again? Chambord. Okay. It was built, basically, now they think it was, it was an architecture built by uh, Leonardo da Vinci. So, well, and it's an, uh, an amazing piece of architecture. It's incredible. So, as a museum curator, what are your thoughts on Leonardo da Vinci? Is he is he the what we call the goat in the sense of the greatest of all time? Well, uh, you know, the thing is that I'm not used to making hierarchies like that. But of course, he is a ge an absolute genius. But <clears throat> well, he's an encompassing genius. Well, it's difficult to talk about that uh, uh, on top of my head, but. I would say he's a scientific genius, he's a technical genius. By the way, if you want to visit his... Uh, his uh, you know, he died in France. He died on the, on the Loire Valley because he was hired and uh, subsidized and patronized by the French king François I. And yes, a big one. <laughs> the biggest one in Europe at the time. Uh, well, the second biggest one. Uh, and this is w why we have the Mona Lisa in Paris. Otherwise, we would, there is no reason why we would have Mona Lisa because he kept his paintings by himself. So uh, when he died, he bequeathed uh, Mona Lisa to the, the king of France. So that's why you have Mona Lisa. And there is this amazing thing close to Chambord, which I just mentioned which is in Amboise, where he, he died. He had his house there. And they recreated in the garden all the devices he built. Oh, so the helicopter, the tank, and everything. It's Wait, worth... You built a tank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A real one. I mean, and... And, well, it's interesting to see. I mean, and the castle is interesting too. So, well... To come back to to France uh, and London, uh, well, Paris is a city where you don't drive. The first thing is you don't drive. It's a smaller city. It's a it's not so big, so you can walk wherever you want, and it's worth walking in Paris. Uh, you have alternate paths to everything in Paris. You don't stay on main avenues. You always find small paths to other places. 
And my idea is that it's a city you only discover by walking and walking and walking and being exhausted by walking. The first thing to do in Paris, in my opinion, for somebody who doesn't know Paris, is to take the boat and do the touristy tour on the River Seine because the River Seine is really where Paris was born. As you know, it was born in one of the islands. It was, uh, Paris was born out of an island that was the best passage from north to south. Uh, and it was, on a, it was a very small town at the Roman times, although it had the usual features of a Roman time. Uh, I mean, uh, a bath uh, place where people took bath and so on. But it was a very minor city and it became important in the, let's say, 11th or 12th century only. <coughs> so the first thing you, you want to do is go on, on a trip on the boat, which is quite nice. And uh, you will have a good idea of the span of the city and you will see most of its monuments because most of the monuments are on the River Seine both on the, the west, west side of Paris and the right side of Paris. <coughs> so the, the first thing you have to understand in Paris is, is first the importance of the River Seine. And then the second thing is how different the two sides of the River Seine are. Basically, uh, the right side, when you... Would that be the, the, the south side? Uh, no, the north side. Oh, okay. My apologies. So we're, we're facing, facing west. Yes. Okay. You're facing the sea, by the way. Huh? You're going to the sea. Oh, the river okay. Seine is going to. Okay. So uh, the, 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 the right bank is the commercial and, in, well, basically the industrial and, and, and bank, the, the industrial part of Paris and commercial part of Paris. The economic workhouse, I would say. And the, the, the left bank is, was populated by a lot of convents. So it was the center of the Paris University, which was the first one in Europe, in, in Western world, I would say. And also the political, uh, everything political is on, except for the Elysee Palace is on the, on the left bank. So you have the, the chambers and, and so on. You said Elysee Paris, right? Elysee Palace. Palace. It's where okay. our president lives. Okay. It's and the equivalent of the White House. Okay, so the, the Champs Elysees. Yes. Is the boulevard leading to. No, it's the boulevard where. Uh, it's the contrary. The, the, the Elysee Palace is on the right side of the beginning of the Champs Elysees. Mm -hmm. Champs Elysees has two important sides. The they go from uh, La Place de la Concorde to the, the Arc de Triomphe. Triomphe. Yeah. And in fact, they go on further up to the Bois de Boulogne. Mm -hmm. But it, all the retail is in that stretch. Well, the thing is that it's split in two because from uh, Place de la Concorde to the, the uh, FDR, because we named the uh, uh, Place after FDR. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, well, you know. Uh, it is, uh, well, he basically saved our butts during the war. <laughs> so it's from there to, to FDR, it's a garden. And this is where the American embassy and the, the British embassy and the Elysee Palace stand. What does Elysee mean? Is that a proper noun? Or is that yeah, yeah, a, it is a, a noun. It's uh, the name of the paradise for Greeks, oh. for the Greeks. So basically it's where the dead people go and they eat a delicious thing called ambrosia. And uh, they are there and spend a good time with their fellow 
paradise dwellers. So, well, so basically the first thing you do after you get off the boat, uh, well, the first thing you do is that you get a good rest because it's tiring to come this way from America. <laughs> and the second thing you, you do is uh, you don't take the day flight. You'd rather take the night flight. It's much better. You arrive in Paris in the early morning. And, and it's a nice thing to do in Paris because, well, the city is nice in the morning. And <clears throat> the f as soon as you get off the boat, I just mentioned before, the, the boat is, is, you take the boat at Pont Neuf, which is, uh, weirdly enough, uh, called the new bridge when it's the oldest bridge in Paris. Hmm. It was called the new bridge because it was the first bridge that was built with stones. And it's, it was wrapped by Christo in the two oh, late yes. 1990s. Christo, the guy to the gates. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and it's a beautiful bridge because it's full of uh, engravings. And you'll see that when you go down, take the, take the boat. So you take the boat, it will last, and you will see amazing things. You will see the Eiffel Tower. You will see the new, uh, the new, uh, a museum built by Jean Nouvel for primitive arts. You will see the Louvre. You will see Notre Dame. You will see everything in Paris, basically. So as soon as you get off the boat, you walk through. There are two islands, l'île de la Cité, which was the first island that was built by the Romans. And then the king of France had his first palace there. And then there is Ile Saint-Louis, which is further down. And on Ile de la Cité, you have a huge amount of important cultural places, all declared as UNESCO worldwide interest. So basically, you have the Sainte-Chapelle. And even more well important as the Sainte-Chapelle, you have Notre-Dame, which was the cathedral of, it still is the cathedral of Paris. So the first thing you do is visit the Sainte-Chapelle because this is a, a slap in the face. I mean, it's the it was built by Louis Saint Louis in the early uh, early twelfth and early twelfth uh, century, no, thirteenth century. Sorry, so twelve hundred. Yes, early twelve hundreds. He he went to crusades and he th he brought back what he thought was part of the crown of the Christ when he was crucified. Of course, it was not true, but nevertheless, he, he believed in that. And well, he built a shrine around the the crown, the holy crown, and he built a shrine that was that is absolutely extraordinary because it's only. You have no walls. You only have stained glasses. And on a huge uh, height, I mean, it's 15 meters out of stained glasses, and only extremely, extremely fine uh, and, and narrow pilasters around. And so when you go there, it's just like an incredible image and something you've never seen in, in America, of course. It's a full uh, glass house made out of, uh, of stained glasses. So this is the first thing you want to visit because first it's at the real core of Paris because it, was, it belonged to the palace of the king. <clears throat> it's, uh, and it's something really amazing and, and the most beautiful stained glasses you'll 
ever see at least uh, uh, around. So, well, you do that and then you go to Notre Dame and you, well, you might not want to visit Notre Dame, which is not so interesting for and very tiring, but you can, the thing you have to do is instead of staying on the front of Notre Dame, you go behind Notre Dame and you will see the arches that allow it to be so high. And as an architect, you will be interested by the feature, the architectural feature. It was, and it's a, it's a beautiful cathedral, of course. So this is okay for your first uh, morning, I would say. And then what you can do is, uh, well, depending on what you want to do, you can visit museums. And how far away are the museums? Every, everything is very close because this is the hyper center of Paris. To go from, um, and the interesting thing is that you can go wherever you want on those cultural places without seeing a car. Because you have, and I can draw that on the map for you, you can go from, well, basically, Saint-Chapelle and Notre-Dame, there is a passageway from each of them, and it's, well, I wouldn't say 200 meters at most from one to the other. And um, from there to the Louvre, you can you can almost see no cars. So you can walk on the river, on the ban banks of the river, and then cross the Pont Neuf again from where you came. And then there is a little street that brings you directly to the Louvre. So I would say 600 meters, 800 meters at most. And it's really close. And, and when you're in the Louvre, what's amazing is that you can go from the Louvre to the Place de la Concorde within the Louvre Gardens and then within the Tuileries Gardens, which are splendid, splendid gardens, very French-like, you know, very ordered and so on. And, well, you get the, the good thing is that you can walk uh, within a silent city, which is nice. You're not pressed in any way. You don't have cars. You're among nature, which is a nice thing to do. And well, the thing I would always recommend when visiting museums in general is having a, a very precise idea of what you want to do. As you know, the Louvre is the biggest museum in the world. So if you want to spend five days in a row visiting the Louvre, uh, you will be exhausted at the end. So basically, you, you, you may want to, to know what you, you're interested in. What are some things that you would recommend people see besides the Mona Lisa? Well, the thing is that you won't see Mona Lisa because she's enshrined in a in a, a glass box and she's very far. You have to overcome a crowd of Japanese people. <laughs> so it's extremely, extremely frustrating. What I would say, the Louvre is, is immense. It depends on your interests. Well, um, the parts I, I prefer in the Louvre, of course, the Grande Galerie, because you have all the... the you have all the Italian painting of the Renaissance. Uh, and, and the thing is that you have, Mona Lisa is obviously a famous star, but you have a lot of other paintings by Leonardo da Vinci that are even more interesting than Mona Lisa. I mean, culturally speaking, they are even more important of his describing his art. Like what? Well, you have uh, uh, Saint John Baptist, uh, and which has been studied by Freud. You have the Virgin and, and the Rocks. 
you have uh, the portrait of a lady, but most important is Saint John the Baptist. So, well, but there is this big gallery, which is, I would say, 300 meters long, which is on the river Seine. And you have a bunch of masterpieces that, well, it's tiring to think about them. My favorite painting in the Grande Galerie, besides Leonardo da Vinci, would be a Caravaggio, which is called, which is a huge painting, and one of the most important paintings in the in the late 16th century, uh, which was absolutely revolutionary at the time, uh, which is called the Death of the Virgin. But expect to see a lot of religious painting, of course. It's, and you have two Caravaggios and so on. And then what I would do, well, uh, there is something you might not want to miss, is the Grand Gallery. There is another Grand Gallery by Rubens, who was hired by the much later in the end of the 16th century by the king of early 17th century by the the queen of france at the time she because her husband henry the fourth had been killed had been uh, murdered uh, and it's about it's an extraordinary ensemble of paintings so you want to visit that <sighs> Besides that, what I would recommend is visit the, the new isle. Of, well, if you're interested in Egyptian art, you have lots of Egyptian things, uh, but London would be better, I guess. Uh, but you can, and, and my favorite isle, besides what I just told you, is the primitive art isle, which has one of the best collections in the world. You have African art, you have uh, Northern American art, especially Alaskan art, which is extremely interesting. And what's interesting is that most of these pieces, a lot of these pieces belong to great artists, the surrealists, namely. And, and so there is an interesting connection between art, Western art and the art of these uh, of these people and, and it's a really beautiful isle in the, in the Louvre but well the thing is that depending on what you're interested you can really spend a month doing nothing but watching <laughs> and of course if you're interested in jewelry you have the jewels of the crown you have uh, Fabergé egg there? no 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 much before that no 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 uh, maybe you have some but no I would not say in the Louvre no, 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 it's from the 17th century and before the medieval art. <sighs> I, I, I tell you, you have a lot to see. But the, the, the only option I would give you is not to, to go in every direction, to be extremely focused, because it's tiring. Yeah. And, and, and of course, you have a full aisle of French painting, so the most known part is from the late, the, the early 19th century, because uh, in Paris, museums are, are separated by, by, by period. So basically, you have a little bit of medieval art in, in the Louvre, a lot of medieval art, but you have most of the medieval art is Musée de Cluny, where you have the famous unicorn tapestry which is very famous and, and a lot of Japanese people there too. And then you have the museum, the Louvre museums, which spans from uh, the early, the end of the prehistoric times to 1848 or 1830. 
So you have a lot of 1848. You have a lot of of paintings by the French uh, painters between the 17th century, uh, amazing painters, uh, to the early 19th century. And they are very famous. You have uh, the crown, the crowning of uh, Napoleon. You have a lot of Delacroix paintings, which you should see. They are really amazing. Um, and well, uh, again, think about dividing your visit into different the thing you want to do also so and then after that you have from 1848 up until the beginning of the world war one you have musée d'orsay on the other side of the river bank which used to be a station and, and this is a different museum altogether right? yeah okay a different museums where and this is on the on the left bank okay so you do it's it's so not the south side exactly it's not so far you can cross the bridge and you get there uh, but it's also a big museum with lots of all the impressionists van gogh the impressionists and so on not a museum i like very much by the way because i don't like the museography but well it's my opinion but you have to visit it anyway and say, say his name again La, le musée d'orsay orsay okay orsay o-r-s-a-y oh okay and uh, well, and then when you're interested in contemporary art, I mean modern art after 1914 up until now, you go to visit Beaubourg, Centre Georges Pompidou, which is on the river on the, the right bank. And this is walking distance from the Louvre and or Orsay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's on one direction to go to Orsay and the other direction to go, but basically it's in only in the center of Paris and you have buses, you have a lot of ways to go from each other, from one to each other. So basically what's interesting in Beaubourg, they have an extraordinary collection of cubists and, and painters, American painters, French painters and so on. Um, uh, what's interesting also is the architecture, which was, it was built by Renzo Piano. Hmm. Uh, it was a, a revolution in Paris. So basically, the Louvre was built by Pei, as you know. I am Pei. Yes, he built a pyramid in, in within the Louvre. Yeah, which shout was out to Southwest. Yeah, exactly. Southwest DC. Yes, and and then uh, Renzo Piano built the Centre Pompidou, which was, was a huge scandal at the time, but eventually it was a great piece of art and architecture. So well. The thing is that I would not recommend spending all your time in museums because really you can spend the five days and much more in museums only. And this would not give you a glimpse of, of Paris life. Great transition. So by the Bastille, there is a market that you recommended that um, someone yes. who wants to see Paris markets check yes. out. Which one is that? It's called Marché d'Aligre. Mm -hmm. It's very close to the Bastille. It's at very uh, literally walking distance from the Bastille. And it's a very interesting market because it's a popular market. Uh, with, uh, and there is also a flea market, a real one, <laughs> with lots of clothes and things. And it's beautiful. It's simple but beautiful. And you have, well, you will see really what uh, Paris life is because you will see popular people. You won't see... Uh, so there are other markets. Uh, the one you mentioned before, the Enfants Rouges, the Red Kids. Mm -hmm. The name was uh, because there used to be a monastery there, which was for orphans. And the orphans were, were wearing red dress. Mm -hmm. 
So that's why it's called Les Enfants. Well, so I, I collect, um, uh, I guess, canvas bags from open air or markets around the world. Yes. And so when I was last in Paris some um, three years ago, they said, oh, you have to get one from the market of the Red Children. Yeah, it's nice. I don't say, I don't deny it's nice. But the thing is that it's not typical. Uh, it's really for tourists and rich people because the Marais is mostly an American colony now. And on the other side, it's a very, very posh neighborhood now. Okay. I have a lot of anecdotes about the Marais because I, I knew the Marais when it was still uh, used by artisans and they had forges and they had uh, metal works there in the palaces of the Marais. But well, uh, so among, as I told you, the thing is that my, my vision of Paris, depending on the weather also, is that you have to walk in, and, and get a, a, an impression of the city instead of going only to museums. Because, well, I, I quoted the Louvre, I quoted the Musée de Cluny, I quoted the, the Musée d'Orsay, but I would say if you... And, and, and I could quote, there, there are two other places, and I quoted Beaubourg to Musée Georges Pompidou. But if you're interested in, uh, in art in general, what I would say, I would, I would probably recommend having uh, great slaps in the face. This is how I envision cities, you know, mm. not, uh, not smooth uh, sailing, something that really strikes you as a, you you cry i mean yeah, so i uh, yeah i mean i mentioned the uh, saint chapelle which is something you ha absolutely have to see and that's with the f 45 foot um stained glass yes yeah. exactly i can show you pictures you oh you can you can see pictures everywhere of it and the second thing i would recommend at walking distance from the louvre uh, is uh, the lily flowers by by monet if you really want to see something that makes you cry, go and visit that. So it's at the end, it's facing the Place de la Concorde on the left, uh, on the left when you're facing the Place de la Concorde. Uh, and it's, uh, I guess it's also a UNESCO thing. Uh, and it was built, it was, uh, it's, a, it's a full room made by Monet. As you know, he was painting lily flowers and he was the inspiration of all i would say all the all over american art of the 60s i just saw a, a lot of them in in the gallery and it's obvious uh, it's really obvious how they were inspired by monet and it's almost a pure painting i mean it's, it's something amazing so I would say instead of going to visit mona lisa and so on if you don't have much time you go to the Saint Chapelle and you go visit that. It will give you a span of painting because stained glass was the uh, uh, the precursor of painting in a certain way, and it will give you a full span of culture and emotions. So, uh, shout to Oceans Eleven, George Clooney. Um, there are two Monets, right? There's a Monet and Manet. Well, totally different. Yeah, people. But but there are two different painters that receive some sort of um, uh, international repute with yeah. their specific uh, type of painting. Um, one of them married somebody questionably or something like that? 
like a, I guess they married a relative or something like that. No, not that I know of. Oh, okay, I can't remember what the what the quote was from uh, George Clooney, but there were two. What what but, what's the difference between the two? There's Monet and Manet, right? Well, totally different. Uh, Monet's uh, first Manet died very young. Okay. My favorite is Manet, basically. Uh, and if you want to see beautiful Manet, you don't have to go to Paris. You just go there to the National Gallery of Art. Oh, really? Where they have the most beautiful ones. Not, not the most beautiful ones are, are also in Paris, but these ones are to die for. There is a little one which is called the, 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 the ball at the, the dance at the Opera House, which is one of the great masterpieces of painting. It's an extraordinary painting. So... You can get a good glimpse of Manet here. They have an extraordinary collection of Manet. Uh, as, and they have also some Monet, which are beautiful, but not as big as the, as the, the lily flowers I mentioned. And that's, that's Monet. Monet. Okay. And Monet died in 1923, so oh, wow. much later. Uh, and Manet died in the 1860s, so it's another generation. They knew each other, I guess, but it's another generation. Was there ever a painting or a picture of both of them, like, giving a thumbs up to the <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I, I, I guess at that time, photography was not so immediate as it used to be uh, later on, but, well, uh, you, you have... So, well, again, I favor slaps in the face. Uh, instead of uh, of uh, tepid visits of museums where you get bored very early, uh, and again, if you visit with your father, you might he might be tired. So you, you yes, know. He, he yeah. Look, he, I think he just wants to eat well. Well, see I'll the see the, the like the the mainstream stuff. Like no, don't the, do the mainstream the, thing. The well, this was I mean, he wants to see the Eiffel Tower. He's gonna want to see. The uh, maybe the Arc de Triomphe. Um, this is really something you don't want to do. I, I, I agree with yeah. Eiffel Tower. It's don't worry, amazing. I'll play this for him so he'll know. No, but no, he's no. still gonna want to see that stuff. And I mean, Arc de Triomphe has absolutely no interest because, first, you're external to Paris because it's on the almost on the outskirts of the city, so well, you if, won't if see if you city. are in Paris during Christmas. They have the lights that light up all the trees down the Arc de Triomphe or down uh, the Champs Elysees, and it's yeah. quite beautiful. Yeah, it is, of course. But you're not going in winter because this is the worst time to go <laughs> to Paris. No, I would say Eiffel Tower definitely. Yes, it's uh, it's an amazing piece of architecture, and you have a beautiful view from there. But other than that, no, don't make it. I mean. Uh, Paris, I mean, I, I've been as a Parisian, and you know how, how much I love my city. I've been in Paris in the on the Eiffel Tower less than 10 times in my life. Yeah, and only the when, Washington Monument. Yes, and only when uh, friends or family were coming exactly. to the city. I mean, it's a, a thing for tourists or of uh, people from the countryside. <laughs> Not, <laughs> I mean, of course it's interesting, but it's tiring. Yeah. It's far away. This you can't do walking because it's far away from the center. Okay. It was built, remember, it was built in 1889 for an international exhibition. And generally speaking, international exhibitions are outside the city. So which arrondissement is this in? I'm sorry? 
which arrondissement? It's on the 15th arrondissement. Oh, Between 15th. the seven, the seventh and the 15th. The only thing is that now it has more cultural power because just very close to the, the Eiffel Tower, they built the Museum of Primitive Art, which is also a very interesting piece of architecture by Jean Nouvel. And what's interesting is that they build those walls that um, hold flowers and, and plants. So a, a big part of the museum is, is a garden, but a vertical garden, which is, might interest you. And otherwise, it's a beautiful museum too. But again, don't spend your time in museums. All right. Uh, well, how about this? Um, my father is a jazz musician. Um, and I know that a lot of African-American uh, musicians, specifically about 100 years ago, um, hundred, no, not hundred. About a hundred years ago, left America to go to Paris in the fifties, just after war. But it started around the twenties, though. Oh yes, I forgot. It's one hundred years ago. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yes, and, and, and so, what I'm wondering is, if 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 one were to go on a tour for a day of all of the notable no jazz trace clubs. Of that. No trace. Well, there are famous jazz clubs there. there. But could one say that is where? It happened, even though now it's a McDonald's. This no, is where it happened. no, no. The thing is that uh, mainly they were playing. Um, there is a famous concert of Billie Holiday. There are famous concert of um, of the Bird mm-hmm. in Paris. Uh, oh, I the think bird. He, he stayed there a lot. Bird. And also uh, Art Tatum. Okay. He stayed there a lot because he was. There was. You always have to remember. First, we did not have the problem of racism, so the first thing. And they were, um, after war, uh, American music in France was considered an amazing music because it was the music of liberation. Mm. And one of our great uh, writers, Boris Vian, which you may know, uh, was a jazz musician too. And he was playing, he was making... And and before war, there were also... So basically, uh, first the absence of racism and secondly the the correlation they made between uh, american music and liberation and freedom may made jazz extremely popular afterwards and even um, what's the name of this amazing uh, intellectual american black intellectual who wrote uh, tupac no 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 not tupac before before um, he he was uh, a friend of uh, of malcolm x and and, and uh, luther King. james baldwin yes he spent a lot of time in paris i mean he and he wrote the most interesting part of his literature in paris because he felt free there first he was an homosexual and then he was black but in Paris, he was a normal guy. I mean, nobody complained about anything. So, uh, well, he's one of my favorite geniuses. And and I guess, uh, have you seen I'm Not Your Negro? No, I haven't. Oh, uh, but there's a movie. Um, so This is the you, movie Well, no, I'm no, no. talking about. Okay. Um, there's. It's so an extraordinary movie. The movie that won the Oscar of yes. the year last year was mm-hmm. called Moonlight. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that director, his name is Barry Jenkins. Mm-hmm. His next movie coming out is an adaptation of a James Baldwin book. Oh, I didn't know. Called that. If Beale Street Could Talk. Okay. Um, right. 
and I've um, actually seen the movie because they had a pre-screening for the first annual African American Film Festival, which happened okay. two weekends ago at the uh, National Museum of African American History and Culture. Okay. So, um, if you are a fan of James Baldwin, oh yes. I definitely suggest you check. Yeah, it out. I will. I will. And we have friends. I have a friend. Oh, Sabine has a friend who's teaching African American movie making at the university in Philadelphia. I don't know, the, the, but well, uh, we are digressing now. So basically, yeah, and you after, need to take a shot. You need to take a shot by saying with him that. And you know what? If you're not gonna take a shot off that, I digress. No, but the thing is that so you have to understand they were playing in jazz clubs, and the jazz clubs were in the 50, in the 40s and 50s on the left bank because it, basic, the residential area the uh, residential side it was uh, no the student side it was in Saint-Germain-des-Prés oh, okay. where the, Sartre, the non-commercial side yes okay. where where Sartre Camus and all the great french thinkers of the early 40s and 50s were staying so uh, had their quarters, I would say. So it was there first, and then it moved on the, on the right bank around the, the main market, which is called Leal. And, but what you have to understand is that as they were very popular, they were also playing in mainstream music halls. And the mainstream music hall in Paris is called the Olympia, and it's on the Grand Boulevard, You'll, just close to the Opera House. You'll find it. Okay, so if I wanted you to have slaps in the face, I would read... No, but I really... I, I think Paris is a city of, as you know, the city of love, which is so silly, but well... But it's something like a heartbreaking thing. You, you have to be struck by Paris, just as you have to be struck by New York. Uh, you know, for example, there are cities by which you are struck and there are cities you enjoy. Washington is not a city where you are struck. You enjoy it. Because it's a beautiful city. It's well, around Pennsylvania in 1600, you might get struck. But you know. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> if you like Greek architecture, I would say. Yeah. And and uh, but the. It's different in Paris. Well, it's different in Rome. It's different in Paris because those are cities that, or maybe in Jerusalem. I don't know, but probably. Uh, these are cities that made great cultural impact so might be different mm -hmm. um, so uh, well you have to walk and again the best way to walk in Paris is along the river Seine um, now after you visit well the thing is that there are places you don't want to miss because you want to act like a real Parisian and tourists never go there. So the second one I would highly recommend is Le Palais Royal, which is just facing the Louvre, just across the, the Rue de Rivoli, which is a beautiful street, but very noisy and very full of cars. Uh, you have this amazing inner garden. Nobody goes there except Parisians, of course. And it's a, a, a literary a wonderful place of quietness you have restaurants there very very fancy restaurants not so expensive yoga well oh, i see people in the garden doing yoga they don't do that too much in paris they do that in <laughs> luxembourg garden on the west on the, the, the left and bank. new york and in dc yes i know 
I've seen them in DC. They were holding weights. It was funny. Yeah. Did you laugh? No. Well, I mean. Yeah, you did. <laughs> no, but you don't do that in France. I mean, people. So, well, and it's a good place for, you mentioned at one point that your father wanted to eat. Uh, Very good. well. Okay. So, uh, first, so you, you can stay and have a lunch in the, the, I will give you the name of the restaurant, in the, in the Palais Royal Garden. But there is a beautiful brasserie, which is a big restaurant, just across the Palais Royal. I will also give you the name of the restaurant. For example, you can have oysters, and they're really oh, no. delicious there. He is an oyster guy. Oh, yes. And, you know, we don't have the same oysters as, as you have. Okay, we have. What's the difference? Well, there are sweet. I love them here too, but the thing is that they're very flat here. Mm. In France, they're very deep, and oh, and so they're, they're, they're okay. mu much more um, to eat and extremely sweet. And so, so it rather than um, so in America, it's kind of like you shoot them. Yes, and in you, France, you get, you, you get the taste of them. Whereas in in France, it's more so like you chew it, and it's exactly. kind of like a uh, you get a bite. A, a big bite yeah, yeah exactly bite, yeah. You, you'll love it and I will give you the name okay so after that what can I say well, I don't well we'll put we'll put we'll put um, things that you can do in uh, front in Paris on pause because I have a friend um, she's actually the most recent episode that we did on the podcast Oh. Um, and she texted me and I told her that I was currently interviewing a Frenchman and she gave me two questions to ask you. Yes, please okay. do. So I don't want to butcher what she um, said. So I'm going to ask you to read uh -huh. both these questions. They're right here. Okay. Vous avez habité New York pour longtemps. Well, okay. What is it? What, what was she saying? Did you stay? Uh, how long have you been living in New York? Okay. Yes, I've been living in New York. Well, I, I moved to America in 2011, okay. uh, and I, I stayed in New York since 2013. So, about five so, years. Yes, oh. and I first stayed in Probably. Manhattan, uh, which I really enjoyed, but it was very noisy at the time because they were building the subway and so on. And then I moved with my wife to Brooklyn. So, you were around 2nd Avenue in Manhattan. Yes, exactly. Okay. I was... Uh, I was overlooking Second Avenue, and it was really terrible, uh, and and it's still terrible, unfortunately. I was sharing an apartment with a guy, an American guy, and then I moved to Brooklyn, which uh, I find much more livable, and I, I enjoy it. So, how many different places have you lived since uh, 2013, living in New York? Uh, I would say three or four. Okay. And what were each of the neighborhoods? The first neighborhood was was the Upper East Side, which was very posh and quite old-fashioned in a certain way. Mm -hmm. The second neighborhood was Fort Greene, uh, and again Fort Greene, and because I moved at one point, I moved. We don't live together with my wife because she has a too tiny. Her apartment is too tiny for that. Uh, so she had a petty. Yes, she had the pedati and you had the house. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing because we're staying in the cozy pedati right now. And yes, I got the hat over the A. And uh, then I moved to South Kensington. And I live in a very interesting neighborhood because my neighborhood is extremely mixed. I'm, I live in the midst 
of a Pakistani's neighborhood on my on my right and a, a, a Orthodox Jewish neighborhood on my left and then uh, and then the Haitian neighborhood I mentioned before which is on Church Avenue mm-hmm. subway very close this is where I do my market I, right. I buy and, my and, stuff and do you speak more French or do you speak more English in speaking with Haitians oh and, and definitely with the Haitians I speak French yeah. but the thing is that uh, in this neighborhood uh, all different people of the of the Caribbeans live so some of them speak Spanish some of them speak English and Creole Spanish, Creole English and Creole French. So it's a very interesting neighborhood. But what's interesting too is that between uh, along Church Avenue, there is the, the poshest neighborhood in New York, which is basically an historic district, which is called Prospect Park South, which is hugely interesting because you have, they built huge houses, suburban houses, and each of them is in a different architectural style. You have a Chinese pagoda, Japanese pagoda. You have houses that look like the houses, the plantation houses in the south. It's an incredible, it's, each house is 15, $15 million. So it's extremely interesting for us Europeans because there is a clash of, 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 of uh, social level. I mean, very poor people and immigrants on one side and extremely rich people on the other side. Sounds like 16th Street. Well, and the thing is that there are very famous actresses living there. There are people from the TV living there and so on. So, but it's an interesting... Any diplomats? This I don't know because I don't know them. But there is this lady um, who is on MSNBC who lives there. So I I always meet her there. So, comment trouvez-vous New York et les Américains? How how do you feel? Well, how what do you think of Americans and, uh, and New York? First, I would say New York is is not America at all, and I've been told and repeated that uh, because uh, well, obviously New York for me is a European city, more like a European city because you have people from all origins. And well, it's absolutely not deep America in any in any by any means. Um, what would I say? Uh, so basically, I don't think America is well represented by New York, although it's a, a sort of an extreme America, or the America one can dream of, or the America one can hope for, uh, but. Um, mostly Brooklyn is a well there was a very funny SNL skit about Brooklyn being under a bubble it was very funny and very true uh, there was a real geodesic bubble around around Brooklyn and it's true people live there and in some sort of a weird world so I haven't seen that skit did it extend all the way out to the I guess uh... oh you have it on YouTube yeah but, oh, I'll show you. I'll send you. So, there. but did it extend all the way out to like neighborhoods like Far Rockaway and Canarsie, or was no, it, no, no, it, no, no? It stopped at like Prospect Park. Oh, basically, at the end of the skit, no, no, it was, and it was not realistically Brooklyn, but at the end of the skit, they said it's just like Brooklyn, but you with a bubble in it, <laughs> <laughs> because it was just after forty-five was elected. And people wanted to live in, in their own life and not have to, to confront uh, the Trumpist uh, world. 
So they lived in some sort of a very posh bubble because the apartments were beginning at $2 million each for one bedroom. So it was very funny. It was very well seen and as always in the, in SNL. What was the other skit that you said that was really good on SNL that happened last week? By the way, this is uh, we're recording this the um, second weekend in November, so the weekend. Well, we're not talking about SNL. We've not only scratched the surface of Paris, you know. And then, oh, you're right. But I'm saying I, I just want to just so th- there was a skit that you brought up to me. Yes. No, well, the, the the one I told you about was about the podcasts. Yes, it was about called podcasts. the Poddies, and it was mocking the podcasts because it was some sort of Oscar uh, for the the podcast makers. Yeah, and each of them was weirder than the other one, and it was all about murders and things. Very funny. Yeah, so I need to check that one. I, I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but, but the one about need to check it out. Brooklyn is extremely funny. And that was last weekend? Oh, no. It oh, was a long time oh, ago, wow. when Trump was elected. Okay. But, okay. So, let's go back over to Paris. Um, so, well, the thing is that you have to, to go to Versailles. Okay. I mean, if you want to understand what uh, French provincial life is, Versailles is an extremely good uh, and po- provincial and posh. Because Versailles is uh, where extremely... Well, right-wing, uh, noble, and... Uh, French ra- forward? What? French forward thinking? No, no, no. They're very, very... Uh, uh, no, they're, they're on the right side. I mean, it's when I very bourgeois right- people. Yeah, so when I, when I hear right-wing as an American, I think about uh, a nativist or nationalist type of mindset. Kind of, but not as as extreme as that. You know, we don't have a bipartisan system in France. So uh, the right goes from centrist, and they have different parties. So from centrist to right wing, I mean, extreme right. Where's Le Pen? In Le Pen spectrum? is, is on extreme right. right. Extreme right. Okay. Yeah, but uh, there are just as there are good Republicans, and I'm quoting it. There are also good right side people in France I mean moderate conservative people and then there are the crazies (laughs) I mean but the good thing in France is that or in Europe in general except for Britain is that since we have multiple parties you perfectly spot them here the problem is that they colonized the the Republican Party Mm -hmm. and that's the the main issue Uh, and and well it drags everybody on toward the right Mm -hmm. but well once that said, I would say that Versailles is something to, to see. And Versailles, please go on a Sunday. Okay. Because on a Sunday, you will see there is a big market in Versailles, but a posh market. And since you will take the train to get there, it's a very short ride from, from Paris Center. It's, let's say, 20 minutes. Like the subway or like the light rail? Uh, both. Because it can go on both sides of the... Of the of the river Seine. If you take the train on the left side, it will be a subway. If you take the train on the right side, it will be from a station, a suburban train. But you can take either one. Well, if your father doesn't want to walk, I would recommend the right side from Gare Saint-Lazare. From light rail. This would be light rail. Okay. Yeah, I would say that. And it's closer to the... to the, And it, it arrives just right in the center of Versailles while the other one is a bit external to Versailles 
but Versailles is something to see because, well, first it's deep France, I would say, so deep traditional conservative France, and you will see a market with rich people as opposed to the market of Aligre, le marché d'Aligre, which is all mixed people. I mean, people of all origins and all uh, social classes. <clears throat> and then you have to visit the castle, which is, of course, one of the great things in architecture because it inspired so many castles in Europe. All castles were inspired by Versailles, and uh, including some here. Uh, and Versailles is interesting because it spans a long period of time. You have, well, the main castle that was built by Louis XIV, the king's son, or the sun king. The, ki the king's son. He so was. the real king is Louis XIII, who made no, the... No, king's son, like the sun. Oh, wow. The, 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 the sun. At first, Versailles, you know, Versailles was built because the Louis XIV was traumatized while he was young by some sort of riot in Paris. At first, the king was living in the Louvre. The Louvre was the, where the kings were living. But I thought that I am paid designed that. No, I am paid. Build the entrance of the Louvre. Oh, okay. Just as so Lo Louvre has been around long before I am paid. Yeah, okay. The Louvre was a, a castle from the Middle Ages, and there are still remains of remnants of the of the Middle Ages. Did not know that. And and the Louvre also spans from the 15th or the 14th century up to Napoleon the Third, so mid 19th century. Okay. And you have all the phases you can perfectly follow in the architecture. You have, but. Well, so, uh, again, it's all about being slapped in the face, as I told you. <laughs> so Versailles is a slap in the face because it is extremely harmonious architecture. And, well, it was built in the 17th century by Louis XIV. And the style is perfectly homogeneous. And you have the garden. And and when you say homogeneous, do you mean symmetrical? No, I mean, yes, symmetrical. But I mean it was built in one stretch. Oh, so, at the same time. It wasn't like yes. built in phases. Okay. It's typical. Cool. It's the classical architecture as you can dream of it. So it's like that. And it's classical architecture. And you, it's the, the, the definition of classical architecture in Western world, I would say. Well, and then you will visit the, the castle inside. And there are famous places. There is a ga grand gallery with glasses, with mirrors, which was a wonder at the time because it was difficult to build mirrors in the 17th century. Mm. And it was extremely expensive. I'm sure. It was a show-off of, of richness, of, of riches. Just like silk-paneled walls. Yeah. The White House. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, at that time, it was a technological... Um, well, so... and it's expensive, though. Yeah. Ex it was a show of wealth. Exactly. Yeah, of power. Yes, yes. I, I can splurge money on it. Yeah. It was a bit nouveau riche, huh? yes. uh, I must admit. But I'm saying that's what they did at the White House. When dignitaries would come, they would have, you know, they do the wood frame and then have the billowed silk walls to show oh, like, okay. hey, we're, we're, we're rich. serious. We're yeah. rich, yeah. So, I get it. And, and then uh, the gardens, because I would say the gardens are even more interesting than the palace itself. Why is that? Because they also define the style of what is called French gardening, which is extremely symmetrical with a lot of sculptures. 
and well basically they're beautiful <laughs> it's a, it's it's a well full of uh, surprises and uh, you see for example in in uh, washington i was walking along the the quiet piece of water that brings you to uh, lincoln memorial extremely flat water it's a mirror it's called a mirror water or something oh, oh the reflection pool the reflection pool yes i'm sorry this was first built in versailles it comes from Versailles yeah. because there is this long thing that exactly the same in Versailles. And it was, well, two centuries before. Uh, I would say, you know, there are two kinds of gardens in Western world. The British looking gardens, such as uh, Central Park in New York or Hyde Park in, in England. And the French looking gardens, which are totally different, which are... Uh, uh, organized at least uh, the british gardens are organized too but differently which ones have the maze uh, french ones okay. italian ones i would say ah. and then it came to france and then they had mazes in france also oh, that, that that originates from the italian yes from uh, florence it, it originates from uh, the gardens of boboli in florence good food by the way in florence yeah, well, great. And then, well, uh, what can I say? So you spend a whole day in Versailles and you will eat like wonderful in Versailles. Because as I said, it's just like province, provincial place. Mm -hmm. And there are amazingly good restaurants, very traditional French restaurants. And your father will be very happy. And so don't... No, no, that's only one day. Correct, but I'm saying you told us about going along the Seine. Seine is Seine and Saint Chapelle, depending on how how fast you're walking. But it would be one day. Well, the day where you arrive, when you arrive, so you're tired. You go, you spend a little, you do a little nap, and then you you go that one okay. day. And then you go to the um, the Louvre. You walk to the yeah. Louvre and the Grand Le Palais. Or no, Saint Chapelle is the first day. Okay, but you said Saint Chapelle. There's a garden connecting to Saint Chapelle. And no, this this is the Louvre. There is a garden. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I told yeah. you that. So yes. Should we do yes. both of those in the same day, or should we just do the cruise, call it a day, and then yeah. do? No, no, cruise and Saint Chapelle. Okay. Depending on when you're living, where you are living in Paris, I would recommend you live on the West Bank, okay. which is on under the the the. Uh, a left bank, sorry, which is way better to live more quiet and, and nicer and very well. Uh, you have a lot of uh, buses and metros and whatever. Okay. Paris metro is, is extremely simple to understand and very nice. It's all in French though. No, it's in English also. And you have uh, an amazing app that helps you, which yeah. is called City Mapper which works for New York too and amazing so you have it on Par in Paris too okay so between those two though the and then Louvre, Versailles on Saint-Chapelle and the uh, Louvre and we could probably see the uh, Arc, uh, Arc Triomphe and um, yeah but this is a long walk but that's two days right well two days for all that right yeah then, um, the the Champs Elysees is not very interesting, by the way. Huh? If you like it's, shopping, though. No, it's just like Champs Elysees is just like the Fifth Avenue. Correct. But 
Well, your father is not a lady. That visit New York want to see Fifth Avenue. Yeah, but if you're a lady and want to buy clothes, fashion. No, no, no. But here's the thing. So, as a real estate person, the beauty of Fifth Avenue is that yeah, well, if you are a retailer anywhere in the world, you have to have a yes a flagship a, a store along Fifth Avenue, mm. and the stores along Fifth Avenue do not make any money. Really? No, they don't. Not too expensive. Correct. So what ends up happening is, from a um, company wide global budget, the money to subsidize Fifth Avenue being there comes from their marketing budget. It doesn't come from any self-sustainable re- uh, uh, retail that's sold there. So what ends up happening is it's like an interactive billboard. Mm-hmm. And there's only a few of streets like this in, in the whole world. One of them is the Champs-Élysées. Yes, except the Champs-Élysées is not as fancy as the Fifth Avenue. Because on Fifth Avenue, you have Saks and you have Berg, Berg of Goodman, which are really fancy places. Oh, and you have the Louis Vuitton store, too. Uh, yes, you do. Because I've been there. It's on 57th. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were in Paris. My but, apologies. Uh, in Paris, you have, yes, you have Louis Vuitton. Yeah. But it's a flagship one. Yes. But other than that, not so many. The real... I'm saying that alone would no, be but, enough to go to. Yes, but the real fancy place is parallel to the... or simil- uh, Almost parallel. It's called Avenue Montaigne. Mm-hmm. And here you have flagships and real beautiful stores. Mm-hmm. Extremely fancy. And the Avenue Montaigne is way more fancy than the Champs-Élysées. Champs-Élysées is very popular. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the most dangerous place in Paris. There are cops everywhere on Champs-Élysées and there are killings of people and mostly people, uh, a lot of people come from the suburbs to the Champs-Élysées. So basically, uh, uh, Champs-Élysées is interesting if you want to go to the movies, if you want to to see the new cars because there are big concessions, dealerships Mm -hmm. of of cars. But I would not say for shopping. I mean, you have mainstream shopping, you have Virgin, you have uh, H&M, you have Louis Vuitton, but the real fancy places are not there uh, so uh, I, I'm looking at it not from the standpoint of the functionality of shopping to like get a good yeah. shopping experience I'm looking at it from the standpoint of I went here so if I was trying to you have uh, to yeah basically make an to. Instagram shot I'm on the Champs-Élysées you know yeah, and I, I'm not I'm not that guy but I'm saying in the sense of if you're I a get tourist it. cool and we yeah. can lump, we can lump that in with the two days with um yeah. Uh, Saint-Chapelle and um, the Louvre. No, the Saint-Chapelle would be the first day. Yeah. And, and then, then you would go from the Louvre, visiting it or not, mm-hmm. uh, along to the Place de la Concorde. But mm-hmm. in between, don't forget to, to go see Monet. Yes. The Lily Flowers, which is at the end of the Tuileries Garden. Yes. Which is just yes. overlooking the, the, the Place de la Concorde. But that's two days, though. Yes, two okay. days. Cool. Then you have Versailles, a whole full a whole day. day. So now we're three. And then you were saying about the jazz clubs that were... Yes, but this can be done um, in the meantime, because... But I, I think that he would probably want to spend an entire day doing that. It's too much. It's, well, it, No, I mean, it's too much, because there are not so many spots to see. If there are at most... And, and basically, you could do that during the evening, because then you could attend... Uh, there, there is a very vivid jazz... Uh, uh, activity in Paris. And he, he would likely meet someone at one of these evening spots that might have want him to come back and like really get a tour of some okay. of the stuff with people. Okay, but 
Well, uh, um, there, there are famous clubs in Paris, uh, just like the Blue Note in New York, similar to the Blue Note in New York. But, well, um, this would not take one day. I mean, if it takes one day, I mean, it will be a drag because <laughs> it's I, not I, in the nicest neighborhood. I, I guess, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm likening it to Harlem. You can spend no, a day in Harlem. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm always considering, again, it's more like a, a, a deep understanding of the city and what it is. And this will give you a glimpse of uh, popular neighborhoods. Not popular neighborhoods, but neighborhoods where you have a lot of... Uh, jazz clubs and and things and it's not the real parisian neighborhood i would say that it's and and then what you have to do so don't forget to see monet so this is three days then uh what you have to do is go on the other side because now we're going downstream the river so south so yes but what i mean no westward so we're going westward I'm always considering the center of all your trips right. as being the uh, the islands of Paris. Yeah, and so where the Saint Chapelle is located and Notre Dame too. So geographically, from the center of the city, the Seine um, travels west and south from there. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it travels in a southwesterly type mm-hmm. of. So think about when we're saying the right bank versus the left bank in the sense of traveling southwestward. Is that okay. a correct way of thinking yeah, about yeah, yeah. it? You okay. Can say that. So, okay. And but the thing you have to understand is that Paris, the the center is decentered because uh, a lot of things are now on the on the southern part of Paris. Well, west western part of Paris, and uh, well, so now we are going eastward to the old neighborhoods of Paris. So we're traveling. So if we were walking along the bank, yes, the water is coming towards us yes. by traveling. You're going to the sea. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're going to the to the the other side. The <laughs> the you're going to Germany. I would say that that's where you're yes. saying that we exactly the direction we're about to travel. Exactly. Okay. So here you're you're seeing all neighborhoods of Paris, namely the Marais. And there is something you really want to see in the Marais is the Picasso Museum. Because first, it's a wonder of architecture, of renovation. It's a splendid renovation. It's, it's located in a, in a 17th century palace, um, which is really beautiful. And it has been done like a wonder. The architect who did that was really great. And well, you have the Picasso collection itself. Because as you know, they traded when he died. He died in France, so he was his kids were French. Was was Picasso a Frenchman? No, he was not. He what never. He? Why? What, no, what was he? He was apatrid. What is apatrid? No, no, no nation. Where was he born? He was born in Spain, but okay. the problem was that up until his death, Spain was not a democratic country, and he was destitute. Of his of his nationality by the Frankist uh-huh. uh, ruling the government, so basically he was he had no he was Spanish by birth, but he was not recognized as Spanish by the Spanish government, which was fascist at the time. And did he have a patron? 
Uh, no, he was his own patron because he's one of the richest men in France. Picasso, after uh, World War I, was an extremely wealthy man because he was widely recognized as a great genius, which he was. And he had patrons in America. He had patrons everywhere. And, well, although he entered French uh, art collections only after war the war, which was incredible, uh, he should have entered them much before the war, uh, he he was a very rich man. He only basically he only lived in palaces all his life. Okay, so when he was an adult. The, I mean. the thing. So well, you okay. have to live in the. You have to visit the Musée Picasso because it's. Uh, you have basically his most important artwork there because they traded the. You know you pay you pay taxes when you die or your inherit your heirs pay taxes on what you gave them. Uh, and um, he, they traded that for a part of his collection. Instead of giving money, they gave artwork. Instead of giving money? Yes, Okay. to the French government. Instead of giving money to the tax, uh, to the equivalent of IRS, they paid it in artwork. So you're sure about something, is that what you've got there is what Picasso loved because it was his own collection of his own art. So basically, it was what he... He's he, painting taxes. Yeah, but is it was what he really loved in his own art. And he's still painting taxes. He wasn't paying taxes. He was painting taxes. Painting taxes, taxes exactly. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh -huh. But although, although he was dead at the time, it's not him, it's his kids. But well... Yeah. Uh, and, and well, and then it's in the midst of the Marais. So going eastward, you will see uh, Centre Georges Pompidou, which is the modern art museum. Maybe you don't want to visit it, but you will have a look at the, the, the outside of it, which is amazing architecture, very modernistic. And then you will go to Musée Picasso, and then you will end up um, to uh, La Place des Vosges, which is a beautiful place. And you have to visit it, and then you can have very good lunch around because there are excellent restaurants. Are they expensive? Uh, kind of. And <laughs> they are a bit touristy too, but ah. there is one which is really good, and I will give you the name. Yeah, please. And the thing is that what you can do is instead of doing that that way, it's you're getting closer to Bastille and to Marché d'Aligre. So what you I would recommend is go first and take the subway, go straight to the east, and then come back from the east. So go to the market first. Yeah, yes. Okay. Go to, because uh, what I want to tell you is that the markets are only open until noon. They're not all day. They're open from uh, eight o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning and up until noon. Even on the weekend. Yes, yes. They end at noon or one o'clock, one p.m. But no, no. But it's normal because they occupy the street. You know, no, the, the, that, would, that would never happen in America. Of course, you have no markets. Uh, I mean, but we wanted that. We want that money. More importantly, Freddie, uh, I, I the, agree with you. No, I, but I the, get it. The, the, the thing, the the farmers' markets are ridiculous here because they are not for for popular people. When I, I have I have a lot of them around where I live in Brooklyn, and I always laugh because it looks like some sort of travesty. 
Uh, you love it because it looks like a travesty. No, but I, I smile at it because it has nothing to do with the real market. I mean, everything is so expensive and and carefully chosen when markets are, are for all kinds of people, older people who are foraging the... the the, 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 the rotten things. And yeah, but in America, you can go to a corner store for that. Yeah, but it's not the same. We have corner stores too. But I'm, I'm it's saying not the, the, same. the idea of there's a place where you can go to get just the regular staples or just the, to rummage through whatever. And in it appears in Europe... You have to go to a market that closes no, at noon to do that. No, Whereas in America, not. it's like, hey, we have a corner store where you can get janky-ass vegetables. Yes, you have them too in Europe. It's not the same type of food. Remember, we cook in Europe. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> so we don't cook in America. <laughs> no, you don't. You know what? Uh, as I was living with my, my roommate in, in Manhattan, I was struck by something. He was disgusted by the idea of touching raw food he bought everything prepared mm. and everything was for example the batter of the the, the it's there's nothing simpler to make than a batter for to prepare um, the, the things you eat in the morning or crepes or whatever yeah, mo- most americans couldn't uh, make a roux it's ridiculous i mean and even you know uh, peeling potatoes was something that repulsed him and I've noticed that a lot of times among American people, they don't like the idea of touching raw food, probably for hygienic reasons. But, well, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs and touching food. So that's the thing. It's raw food you buy it, and you don't buy raw food in the corner store. Where did you first hear that phrase, you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs? Did you it's hear a it? French thing. It's a French, also, it's a French yeah, term. Yeah. Okay, okay. I guess you, you also have it. Yeah, no, no, no. We, we have that exact same phrase, it's, but yes. It's it, a yeah, French I'm, I'm glad that you heard it. It's from an French old French. old thing. Why, it has uh, understatements? Oh, no, no, no. no. It, it, it's, I, I'm glad that it came from France because... Yeah. Um, it sounds very. It sounds like a very American thing to say. Oh, <laughs> I guess it's English too. But you so, know what I'm saying in the sense of. Uh, oh shoot! I get it. Yeah. yeah, it's the means before the. But so well, so you do it uh, uh, the other way around. You begin by Marché d'Aligre, where I don't know if you're interested in wine, but around Marché d'Aligre, and if your father is, you have this those little wine shops where you can taste wine and really it's wine by the barrel so it's amazing really amazing really a place to go because they're very kind and they will help you and they will help you find and it's extremely popular and this is the market by bastille yes okay. marché de ligue which i love marché i de used ligue. to live there and i, I really know this market de ligue. D E space D apostrophe A L I G R E, but you'll find it. It's very simple, and it's huge. It's a big market, and you will see a lot of fish and a lot of things. Depending on the on the time of the year you go, of course, if you go in winter, you will see the fruits of winter, which are not so frequent. But well, they come from Morocco or, or North North Africa or Spain. Uh, and then you do it the other way around. Bastille has absolutely no interest. It's a void. 
<laughs> because there used to be a castle, but now that the castle has been destroyed, it's a big pla place. When was it destroyed? During the French in 1789. Mm. It was the first, the first act of the French Revolution. They took the Bastille, which was a prison, and they took the weapons that were stored there, and then they destroyed it, they flattened it, and they built something else with the, the stones of the castle. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, so, it's question. Uh, is the full history of Napoleon taught in French grade school? Yeah, of course. Cool. Um, but Napoleon is later. Ten great. years later. Great. Can you give us a rough timeline synopsis stating years and all that stuff of Napoleon? Yeah, of course I can. Please. Well, Napoleon came to power. Well, French Revolution was extremely bumpy, of course. So first... What year are we starting? 1789. Okay. Or even 1788. Okay. Because, well, in 1788, there was a lot of agitation in the, the provincial part of France. And people were complaining about taxes and so on. So the king was compelled to... Uh, to gather all orders, I mean the bourgeois, the nobles, and the religious people in Versailles. And then they took the power. They decided that they were the representative of the, of the, of the country, and that they would, instead of, being, uh, of meeting only for a short amount of time, they would stay as a... As a, as a, a, a as 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 representatives of the country so because they assumed they knew better than the plebeians no they knew better than the king oh than the king okay so it was a revolution really it was it was just like what happened in england in the 17th century or what happened here when you fought the king of england and decided that all states would at least the 13th first states would decide of their own uh, future and fate. So okay, so exactly the same. So, so seventeen eighty nine, Louis the sixteenth. So the king of France at the yes. time. Okay, and he accepted eventually to share power, to share the power with an assembly of people. So it goes like that up until seventeen ninety one, and in seventeen ninety one, the king decides to flee France. So. Unfortunately for him, he's arrested. He's going to Germany and he's arrested at the border. And he's brought back to, to Paris and then beheaded. Hmm. He faces public. a trial. In public. Yes, by the guillotine. And he faces a trial and he's beheaded. So this is the important date. It's where France decided they would not have any, uh, a king any longer. It's a republic now. Just like yours, basically. It's a little after your republic. Hmm. So they decide to make a republic. And then it's a bloodbath. Uh, since uh, 1792. It's a vacuum of power. Yes. yes. The terror, it's called. Mm -hmm. uh, from 1792 to 1795. Three years. Uh, three years. They behead a lot of people. All noble people are systematically beheaded. Uh, and uh, are any people from the Republic beheaded as well? 
Yeah, because they, you know how it is when you have a sect and different sects, they kill each other at one point. They begin by killing the other, the enemies, and then they kill each other. So. I, I'm sorry. So, uh, so next door right now, we have a, a, a family from Dallas that just checked in, and um, there's a Sunday night game going on where <laughs> Dallas is playing the Eagles, and we can they hear won. them. Although <laughs> 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 they they are they are hooting, hollering for joy over there. I have no idea if the game is over or if it was a big touchdown or if Dak Prescott ran 100 yards or anything like that. Um, but uh, something's going on over there, and we're laughing about that to ourselves. But I digress. Take your damn shot. So back to the revolution. So, uh, but the interesting thing to know also is that it's the most creative part of the revolution. For example, the metric system, mm. the well, all the innovations, the technical innovations were made during that uh, terrorist time, terror time. So afterwards, it goes back to the right, uh, like a pendulum, and eventually. Napoleon saves the Republic for, because what you have to know also is that all European countries were against France. They were still, you know, all kings were related by family bonds. And they were horrified by what happened in France because they saw their cousin or uncle or whatever being beheaded on, on, in a public place. And they were fighting France on the borders uh, with great with great power, but eventually France installed a, a popular uh, army, militia, uh, and won, which was incredible because the, the 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 forces of freedom by popular vote were winning against the British and winning against the German kings and Austrian kings. Yeah, so. But the thing is that it got worse at one point, and Napoleon, who was a great military, at first he was a great general, he won, so he saved the Republic. When was the, f what year was the first ever mention of Napoleon Bonaparte? I mean, Napoleon, but you have to imagine Napoleon Bonaparte as a, as an outlier, a total outlier, because he was speaking with a very heavy Italian accent. Um, Corsica had been liberated from Genova, which is in Italy, only very recently. And he was born one year after the country was uh, was brought to France. So this was a it, French colony. In not a it, colony. It was, uh, it was French a, occupation. Uh, no, 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 no. They gave themselves to France, but it was very far. It's still very far. Corsica is far from France. Correct. But I, I'm saying in the sense of um, that's where he was born. Yeah, but he was only born one year after France took over the, the, the Italian so Genovese. Yeah, so there's a very much Italian influence in totally. his and he, Frenchness. He spoke, everybody was making fun of him because he was speaking with a very thick Italian accent. And his mother was even worse <laughs> because she was very important in his life. Uh, but the thing is that his first mention was as a young cadet mm -hmm. uh, because he was uh, learning military art at a very prestigious uh, school in France of and became a cadet. And immediately afterwards, he won a great battle. And he was an amazing, uh, one of the greatest military men in, in history. Huh? He was very sharp and found ways to attack and be very fast 
and he won against all the enemies on all fronts. So, well, he was the savior of the Republic. And when you have a savior of the Republic who is a military man, eventually there is a coup. And he took power in 1799. 1799. Was he good at chess? Yes, I think so. I think so. Okay. Continue. And he was a, an immensely intelligent person. He was mostly a literary person. He writes like rarely any politician has written. You can read what he wrote. He was an amazing writer. So I, I'm, I'm not very fond of Napoleon, but I, I, I appreciate his uh, genius, I would say. He was very well read. Even outside of military texts. Yes. Which, yeah. No, he was extremely sharp. I mean, he was... Uh, a real intellectual genius and uh, well, he never slept by the way huh. he was not sleeping at all yeah. well basically and then in 182 okay so three he years became later. the emperor okay and then waterloo the so he lost at one point and was sent to an italian uh, island and in 1814 wow so he had 12 years Yes. Okay. And during those 12 years, and then he came back to France. After Waterloo? No, no. After he was sent to uh, to this uh, island. Waterloo? No. Waterloo is after. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> he lost one time, the first time, and he was sent to uh, to this island. That Who sent him? The British. Ah, so the, he the lost war enemy. on behalf of the French, yes. was captured or held yeah. by the British, and they sent him to an island. Yes, but then okay. he came back, he flew away from this island, okay. and came back to France, and then there is the big campaign uh, that ended up in Waterloo, uh, and then he was sent to St. Helena, which is... In Who sent him to Waterloo? The French? No, no, himself. He took the power again. And he, he fought, he, he, he levied a, a whole army and he fought the British and the Germans and all the rest of Europe. And it was a very bright campaign. Unfortunately, it ended with, unfortunately for the French, it ended with Waterloo. Mm -hmm. But uh, all, all together, it was a very, it was one of his masterpieces of strategy. The problem was that France was exhausted at the point. At that point, the army was disbanding. And so that's the why Waterloo happened. And he faced a very powerful coalition. But then he was sent too far away in the world in the South American island, which is very unhealthy. And he like died south there. of South America yeah, or an like island on the on the coast of on the coast. Chile on, on the coast. It's called Saint Helene, Saint Helena. It's on the west or east coast. On of, uh, the east coast, it's close to the Malvinas. Okay. You know, remember the war between Argentina and uh, so he was sent there and he died there. Okay. So that's Napoleon. But in the meantime, the thing with Napoleon is that he defeated all the kings and emperors in Europe mm -hmm. except for the British, and he installed republics everywhere. So basically, the whole 19th century has been to fight between his influence because he gave laws. He was a very important legislator. He gave laws and he changed the law of each country. Each country uh, was on the metric system. They had the same code as the French. And that was something that he installed. Yes. Yes. But the thing is that it persisted afterwards because the problem was that he gave the power to the bourgeoisie 
in all these countries and the people would not give back their power afterwards. Oh. So basically, the whole all European countries flipped to not being republics because there was a backlash from the kings oh, so who came like, back. He was, like, he was like Trump. He acted no, no, like no, he no, was no. dealing... He, he, he came to power off of the wave of... He was a genius, not like Trump. <laughs> but no, no, no. But I'm saying in the sense of... Um, from from what I understand, what you're saying, there was the king, right? Yes, and he expelled them. Yes, and they oh, he submitted. Uh, he was he was a part of the expelling of the king, kind so of, that yeah. people could have their own representation. Yes, so that's the idea of we're getting rid of the moneyed, the the royalty, the bourgeoisie, and getting the people. No, no, no. He was for the bourgeois. He was not for the people. Correct, but. Who would be closer to the bourgeoisie? Would be closer to the royalty, or would be closer to yes? Because the thing they wanted everywhere in Europe is become the new royalty, the new nobleman, the, the new no- nobleman. Exactly. But they were they were there, but they weren't the royalty. Yes, yes. But then he gave them the power, and then also the thing is all about his legislative. Is that any different than Trump? Yes, of course it's no, different. No, for, than for, Trump, Trump about, is a no, dummy. No, no, no. But forget about intelligence. I mean, okay. it's a, I'm saying the idea Trump of is the, the, we're going to drain, the, 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 drain the swamp, right? We're no. going to drain the swamp. It was not draining the swamps in those countries. It was just a redistribution of power. Exactly. And I'm saying but you, the and I, swamp you and I is, can look at that there is as a circle, right? I'm saying that when you were in this two-dimensional space and looking at it, it's, well, no, 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 no. Trump's going to come in and drain the swamp. Well, and, th- and what he's talking about are the people that are the current legislative body. And what we're going to do is we're going to come in. But in actuality, what he's doing is passing tax legislation that really favors the money. But it was not exactly the same uh, as uh, basically Trump is enforcing uh, the same people in power. Uh, there was a, sw- a, s- a, s- a, a total... Uh, switch of power under Napoleon. Yeah. The only thing is that... There was royalty and it went to people who had money. The only thing also was that while he did that, there was a real backslash in patriotism. Patriotism, Because then, every before it was kingdoms, but then all European nations appeared. So you had Italy... Mm-hmm. You had Spain, which was the worst nut he, he broke his teeth on, and there was Germany. And every each of those nations mm-hmm. appears then as a real nation. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important part. So basically, it was a very intricate movement because basically he gave all these people new laws mm-hmm. and new organizations mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. But he subdued them to France, and then there was a backslash in patriotism. Uh, the other nations. Yes, and yeah. this is the whole story of the 19th century that ends up in the in the World War One, like tariffs with, <laughs> with yeah. China and Russia. No, don't compare what's not comparable. I mean, but they're all coming on the stage at the same time, right? Yeah, but the thing is that, uh, well, it ended up uh, basically the whole 19th century is a century of revolutions yeah. and 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 balance between kingdoms emperors and popular republics and it ends up in a bloodbath at the end of the century because of nationalism in in the world war one and we don't see nationalism right now well uh, there are clever people that hold uh, 
the bad move toward nationalism. But well, this is another story. So basi know. basically, we well, digress. Yes, we digress. And I'm getting tired. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, no, I'm getting tired because I'm tired. No, but this is, this uh, is great. Like and then you provided a great education, but continue with Napoleon Bonaparte. No, I'm continuing with Paris. Okay. So well, once you visited, uh, so you end up in in Musée Pom Pompidou. Uh, yeah, I don't know where it is, but it's uh, Grand Canyon National Park. Oh, I've been there. I don't recognize it. Nah, it's probably daybreak. No, you know what? It's because there are clouds. I didn't see the yeah. clouds. Yeah. It's one of the most splendid things I've seen in my life. I must really? admit. Wow, you don't see that in Europe. I mean, we have mountains, but not like that. It's I, I don't get it. I've never been there. <gasps> I've never been there, but I don't superb. get it. Superb. But I mean, I'm, I, it's really superb. It's, it, it's is it about is it about standing on the edge of something that no, no, is no. so grand from a three dimensional standpoint that goes beyond where your eyes can see that you're like, wow, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm able to comprehend time from this. No, it's simpler than that. It's just the awe of being in front of something really majestic and and forces of nature as you never see them in, in our country. Which is time, right? Yes. And there is a very interesting thing, by the way, along the crest of the, of the Grand Canyon, when you're in Grand Canyon Village, uh, there is a long, long, long trail which is built using copper and every, let's say, 10 meters, you have a, um, a date, which is a prehistoric date. One million years, 12 million years, and so on. So it gives you a real, a real, when you walk along the crest, which you do, you really see how long it took to build this uh, incredible castle of rocks. It's, it's, but it's really a splendid place. It's, wow, <laughs> it's amazing. It's a physical conceptualization of time. Yes, and it's uh, it's a beauty. Really, the colors and everything are wow. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really crazy. By the way, and there are other things that are interesting in the neighborhood. I mean, the the sand uh, cave, the antelope cave, is an extraordinary place too. We'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're back to Paris. So well, uh, this is four days, including Versailles. Uh, it depends on if we're going to do all the jazz clubs yes. at the night of every day or if we're going to have an entire day devoted to the jazz Well, clubs. I mean, seeing closed jazz clubs, existing jazz clubs is not of a great interest. You must admit that. I mean, you will you will end up in in front of closed doors. Instead, if you go there during the evening, then you can you can enter and, and have a real good time with your father touche i guess huh? i guess i i mean jazz is not about seeing a, a place it's about uh listening to music i guess i mean well so you had said that a lot of the jazz clubs from 100 years ago don't exist anymore well but the buildings are still there right i would be you know what i know paris really well and uh, without bragging and i really don't know where they were mm -hmm. but maybe there are books about that perhaps and well, uh, I know the Olympia, I know the other jazz clubs in the Halles, but they're closed on. Uh, Olympia is, is a mainstream music hall. Uh, you have singers and you have everything. And, and those jazz clubs uh, are only open in the evening. So, well, 
you ne you 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 decide from then on. Voilà. So four days. Well, you'll be tired after those four days. I can tell you. Uh, I don't know what your <laughs> your strengths are. But if you do that, you will have a very good perception of Paris. And, and you will have a very good uh, idea about um, how we live in Paris. I would say that. Right. You ready for the seventh question? Yeah. <laughs> 